I think these musicians do a wonderful job and appreciate them leading us in worship. When I was a kid, my mom enrolled me in piano lessons. And uh, I enjoyed taking the piano lessons, but I did not enjoy practicing the piano for the piano lessons. In fact, I remember the lectures that my um, teachers used to say to me, Wes, you have more potential in your little finger than many of my students have in their whole body, but you've got to practice. And the problem with this is my mom heard it, and so she would remind me, Wes, you have more potential in your finger. That's what she would say to me. She still says this to me every once in a while, just to remind me, but I still wouldn't practice until one of my teachers decided it would be an assignment. I had to practice 30 minutes a day and have my mom sign to say that I practiced for those 30 minutes. So now her name was writing on this. Well, in my home, the uh, piano was in the living room, and you couldn't really see it from outside. You had to walk in to see it, but you could hear it all over the first floor of the, of the house. So she knew if I was practicing the piano or not. So one day I came down to practice, and for you kids and teenagers here, um, back in my day, we had what was called a cassette player. And um, I carried it into the living room, plugged it in, inserted a blank tape, plus press play and record, and then practice for 30 minutes. da 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 after I was done, pressed stop, shoved it back in the corner, walked outside, mom signed it, practiced 30 minutes. Next day, I came downstairs, pulled out the cassette player, rewound the tape, pressed play, sat in the wingback chair, propped my feet up on the ottoman, and listened to myself practice from the day before. <laughs> Little did my mom know from the kitchen, she was also listening to me from the day before. So she signed the sheet, 30 minutes, you know that I did it. Well, let me give you the moral of the story. It's not. See, that's how you get out of it. Because you might walk into a room with a piano and hear me playing some song that I know really well, like Blessed Assurance or another hymn I can play by ear. But don't expect me to open the hymnal and start playing because I didn't practice enough to do that. But on the other hand, evidently there were people who took lessons with me who did practice because you can turn on the radio and hear at least one of them who plays on the piano and sings and writes her own music. Just won a Grammy. Evidently, she practiced a lot. Her name's Laura Story, and she wrote one of the more uh, famous um, uh, worship songs, uh, Indescribable, and recently won a Grammy for a song you hear on the radio called Blessings. What if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? Well, she um, took piano lessons with me and played in the same recital. So that shows you the difference <laughs> between utilizing talent and keeping it buried, right? Well, my parents are here today, and um, I didn't confess to this until just a few years ago with my mom, and I think she's still upset by it. But they uh, thankfully never uh, made me give an account for that huge investment they put into my life in that area and other areas that I probably neglected. And unfortunately, I don't think that many of us ever analyze our life to say all the things that we've been given and how much we have and really look at it and say, what have I done? What sort of return have I had on this investment in my life? And Jesus makes a point of this sort of accounting when he tells a story. And we call it the parable of the talents. So I'm going to read to you from the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 25, if I can get mine open here, beginning in verse 14. And Jesus says, For it will be like, he's referring to the kingdom of God here, for it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. 
Who, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. We'll pick that up here in just a minute. But what we have at the beginning of this parable is some incredibly good news. And really it has an impact for your life and for mine as well. A landlord calls together his three servants. They're really slaves of his. That's what the word says. So slaves of his that, you know, no freedom, no property, no rights. Calls them before him and um, says, I'm going to leave town for a while and I'm going to entrust you my property. You watch over it. And then also gives them this huge responsibility of a huge investment that they now, you know, it's basically much responsibility for them. And he immediately elevated them from their current status as slaves into something so much more by giving them opportunity, giving them resources that they could invest in a way that might bring about a return because that's what his expectation was. Now, it's really difficult for us to translate into modern-day terms the idea of a talent because uh, the uh, measurements and monetary values kind of change over time. From region to region, they vary. They weren't always standardized. And so although we don't know exactly what the amount is that we're dealing with, um, we can look at it a little bit because the belief is that one talent was really a measurement of silver, a talent of silver, and um, it would be equal to about 6,000 denarii. And a denarius was what you would pay a skilled worker for one day's work. Uh, that's what it was worth. So if we take, you know, what the average skilled worker here makes, and let's just say, I don't know, 50000 a year, and then we say, okay, well, that's worth about $190 a day. And so one talent, or 6,000 denarius here, equals about $1.1 million that he's entrusted to these servants. So what I think happens is that Jesus, this great storyteller, at the very beginning grabs his audience's attention by saying he gave this huge amount of money to these servants of his. So we're talking about massive opportunity that they've been handed. More opportunity than they ever could have dreamed of, especially for people such as slaves. It's, the sort of, it's sort of a profit-sharing venture that the master's going into with his three servants. He gives the first servant five talents, so about five and a half million dollars. He gives the second servant two talents, so about two and a quarter million. And then he gives to the, uh, one, the third servant one talent, $1.1 million. And for all intents and purposes, these three servants, they hit the jackpot. You know, it's like they won the lottery and it's been handed to them that they have this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to share in the gains on such a valuable resource from a generous and gracious master. Well, what I'd like for us to do for the next few moments we have here is I want to ask you four primary questions that I want you to really consider in light of this parable. And I'm really serious about this. I know it's so easy for us to walk in here for the sermon and, you know, we participate in singing, participate in giving, and the sermon becomes a spectator sport, you know. We listen and we're like, oh, yeah, that's a good thought, big word, nice quote, you know. Maybe tweet it out, post it on your Facebook, what might say. But I want you to really think about what you're hearing. Really engage with me. Really, you know, engage with the Holy Spirit and analyze your life. You might pull out your bulletin. The four questions are there. If you've got an iPad, iPhone, download the app. You know, you can read along there, but write down your answers. So here we're going to deal with these first four questions or these primary questions I want to deal with. And the first one is this. What have I been given? So let your mind start spinning a little bit. What are the things that God has given me or entrusted to me that might be considered a valuable resource or an opportunity? And just start writing it down. And I'm going to help you out here a little bit, okay? I know it's kind of hard, you know, I've been thinking all day. I don't want to think now that you're preaching. So let me just help you out a little bit. Um, first of all, you're here, so that means you have a life, okay? You got a life, and how valuable is a life? 
So that's the first thing you've been given. You've got a body, and for the most part it works. You've got a mind. For the most part, you're in touch with reality. So you just might write those things down. Um, You have experience. You know, you can look at your life. How many years have you lived here? You might write down how old you are. If you don't want to write down, you can say how old you think you look. You know, then we'll know whether your mind is working as we look at that. But anyways, uh, so you have those things. You might write it down. You have talents or you have skills in certain areas. You know, some of you can sing. And you're in the choir. Or if you can sing and you're not in the choir, you should be. You have all kinds of skills and talents. You know, it might be gardening. It might be, um, uh, you know, working with your hands, you know, whether it's knitting or, you know, maybe it's doing things, building things. We have a whole crew of people that are building a play area for our preschoolers downstairs. It's unbelievable. And it's all because they have skill in that area and they're volunteering there. Some of you are crafty. You like to go on Pinterest, you know, and find things that you can make or your husbands can make that you want in your house. Some of you can cook. My mom enjoys cooking uh, whenever people um, like to eat. So she told me today, Wes, I found a recipe on Pinterest I'm going to cook today for lunch. And um, she says it's going to be good because you first fry the bacon and then you brown the chicken in the same pan. So I'm looking forward to lunch today. Mom's cooking lunch. <laughs> so, you know, some of you have certain skills and certain, uh, you know, talents you have. You know, some of other types of skills. Maybe you're good at encouraging. Maybe you're good at listening. Maybe you're good at planning or organizing. Um, or maybe you're good at um, understanding people. Well, those are all gifts from God. I think you should write them down. You have other resources. Maybe it's financial resources. You know, maybe it's you could put down a dollar figure. If you don't want to write down a dollar figure, let me just encourage you to write down the word much. Because I think in comparison to the rest of the world, we can say you have much. The fact that you're in this huge air-conditioned building and you drove here in cars that have air conditioning, I think in comparison to the world, you have much. You have so much, you know, that you've been given. You have your education, your friends, your family, your workplace, all of those things that God's given you. And if you're a follower of Christ, you have the forgiveness of sins, you have a life that's eternal, and you have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those are very, very valuable things. Priceless, we'd say. So let's begin with what have I been given? And I know we like to focus on all the things we don't have, right? That's what our prayers turn towards. God, I need this. If I could just have this one more thing. But for just a moment, I just want you to consider what have I been given? And as you consider that, I think you'll find you've been given so much. So that leads to our next question. Question number two. What will I do with what I have been given? What will I do with what I've been given? In verse 14, we read about this master who uh, you know, tells of this man who, going on a journey, called his servants and entrusted to them his property. And you might just circle that word entrusted Because it's not as if he just handed a bunch of stuff over and y'all do with it what you want to kind of thing. But he entrusted it to him. In other words, there was an expectation. He had a bigger plan that he was working on, a bigger purpose. So he put it in their hands. He's not just doing something to benefit his servants. He's expecting something out of it. And the expectation for us is that whatever the Lord entrusts to you, you can expect him to ask about it later. Did you catch that? Whatever God has entrusted to you, whatever God's given you, you can expect him to ask about those things later. Well, in this story that Jesus is telling, we see that a master distributes the money, and as quickly as he assembled the guys, all of a sudden he heads out. In verse 15, it says, To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And here's the key phrase, Then he went away. He didn't hang around and say, here's the guidelines, what I want you to do with it, you know, or uh, let me give you some suggestions, or let me give you some um, expectations. It's as if he just handed it over and he said, now you go do something with it. 
That's what it comes across as. That he didn't kind of work out. Because here's the deal. He gave to them according to their abilities. So he expected them to figure it out. According to your abilities, what can you do with this? What can you do with what's been put in your hands according to your abilities? And so the expectation is that they would dream up or they would have visions of what they could do with this huge resource, five and a half million dollars, that they can invest and bring a return on it for the glory of the master. So what did they do? Well, for two of them, they went right to work. Verse 16 says, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. It says he immediately, is what it says in some of your verses, he, he went, he traded, and he made. Those are three very active verbs right there. And the second servant evidently did the same. If you read in verse 17, he had two and turned it into two. But there were three servants. And the third servant did not do likewise. Evidently, the third servant went to bed and never had any visions or any dreams or any dares that he thought, oh man, this is the opportunity I've been looking for. His life was no different ever than the day before he was given this amazing resource. No different ever. The gracious gift didn't elicit any dreams, any dares, any risks for his life. He just kept on living just like he had been. Instead, he found a nice piece of dry ground, put a shovel to it, dug deep, and put the treasure down inside there, leaned back in his, his wing-back chair, propped his feet up on his ottoman, and never did anything with what he'd been given. A couple weeks ago, I met with our Sunday school leadership, and uh, I challenged them with the opportunity or um, the hope or the possibility of becoming a game changer in the lives of those in their, uh, in their community that they're around or in their Sunday school classes or maybe that might visit their Sunday school classes. And, you know, with the smell of football in the air, we all know what it's like to kind of be spectators of the sport, you know, sitting in the stands or maybe in the recliner with the remote, yelling at the television, you know, calling the calls better than the coach does, calling calling the calls better than the refs do. We all know what that's like. But can I just say to you that God didn't create anybody to sit on the bench. God didn't create anybody to just be a spectator. God made you for a purpose. He intentionally blessed you with all He's given, and He meant to do that. It wasn't just something so you can sit back and rest and relax, but it was something so you could use and invest for His purposes. So this story is not about seeing what the first two servants did with all they had been given and think, man, they did a lot. It's about us waking up to the opportunities that we have and the resources that we've been given that's been entrusted to us. And as we get off off of our seats... And we start seeing the much we have been given and the strategic opportunities that are all around us to impact people for kingdom purposes, to impact the world for kingdom purposes. We will see we can be game changers in the lives of the people that we're around. You know, people that might need encouragement. All of a sudden we can provide it and it might change the game for them. It might change the game of life for them. Or, you know, people that need support. All of a sudden, we can come along and provide the support, and you have no idea how that might impact them. Or people that might need love, and rather than showing judgmental eyes towards them, we turn loving eyes towards them. And that could totally turn them in a different direction about what they think about the Lord, what they think about the church, what they think about the Word of God. We could provide all those things. We could prov- we, people that might need prayer, we could change the game for them by praying for them. Do you believe that? God says He hears our prayers and He acts on them. And then, of course, people that need salvation. I mean, who else are they supposed to turn to? 
People that know Him and already have the gift of salvation, well, that's who they should be able to turn to. And if you realize that you can make a game-changing play in their life that's more significant than any Pontiac game-changing decision of any game because it can impact eternity. Now, someone can make the argument here that the third servant really did nothing wrong. You know, he didn't go and waste the money. He didn't go and make a loss because he invested it poorly. He didn't use it for his own benefit. He didn't decide, I'll go buy a chariot today or a camel or whatever you buy. Make a new tent. But he, you know, he, he didn't do anything with it. I've been reading this verse recently, James four seventeen. Let me read it to you. It says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. We're so prone to focus heavily on the bad things that we could potentially do. You know, of like um, the Ten Commandments. So I'm not going to cheat. I'm not, or the things that we want to prevent ourselves from doing that might be sin. But Scripture continually points towards the danger of sins of omission. Those are those good and noble things that we don't do that we have the potential to. You know, the love that I don't show. The words I don't say, the servanthood I don't offer, the gratitude I don't express, the risks I never take that could have impacted somebody for eternity. And so the sin of this third servant is very serious, but it's not something he did. It's something he didn't do. He had every opportunity in the world to take what he had been given and make an amazing impact in the area that he was, in people's lives that would have brought back a return for the master. But every day he chose to sit on the treasure rather than living faithfully for the master. Every morning was a new opportunity for him. Every single day he could have woke up and said, I'm going to do something today. But instead he said, I think I'll keep it buried one more day. And you know, it says the master came after a long time. So it was a long time that he did that. Well, I think a huge problem for this third servant is he never considered any other option than keeping that treasure below ground. He never paused to dream of what he could do that might please the master and make an impact for the master's benefit. And so the question is, do you, do you dream about what you could possibly do with all that God's given you? Do you ever stop to consider and say, I have this, how could I impact the world? Or if I took this and applied it this way, or if I said this in that way, or if I showed this in that way, it could impact somebody's life for, for God's sake. Do you ever do that? So what happened after the master returned? Verse 19, I've got to turn to the right book here. Verse 19 says, Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And can you imagine how much joy is there? Verse 22, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him the exact words he said to the first servant, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much and enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24, he also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seeds. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So the two servants who made a return in the investment that the master put in their life were called good and faithful servants. So it'd be really easy to ask the question, so what do we need to do in order to be called good and faithful? But let me ask the flip side of that that coin, okay? And it's this. 
What could keep me from being good and faithful? What might prevent me from being good and faithful with all that God's given me? For the third servant, it wasn't greed or hatred. It wasn't that he hated the master. He said, I'm going to go waste this. Or greed, I want this stuff for me. It was fear. Fear that paralyzed him, that prevented him from being good. He's afraid that the master is a hard man. So he decides to live the careful life rather than the faithful life. And I'm afraid the same could be said of us, that we live the careful life rather than the faithful life. He's paralyzed by fear when it comes to risking his talent. Let me read to you what one commentator writes. He says, Investing resources has always been a risky business. Even the wisest investor risks losing increases if something happens at the wrong time. Implied in the two faithful servants' actions here was a certain amount of risk, but it was obedient risk. They were expected to do what was prudent, what would normally turn a profit, based on their wisdom drawn from life experience. So as much as this parable speaks to the idea of stewardship, which of course is what I'm challenging with today, I think it presses really hard into the idea of risk. Now, don't, I'm not talking about risk financially, you know, as you invest in certain things or whatever, but risk your life for God's sake. The commentator continues, Believers also are required to obey Jesus in all things, even when risk is involved, even when we do not see the end results. Well, there's a really interesting difference in the way, to me, there's a really interesting difference in the way that the two servants responded to it as opposed to the one. Um, and you kind of miss it in the English Standard Version I just read to you, but in the New American Standard, it refers to the first servant like this, his actions by saying, immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded, and we're told the second did likewise in the next verse, but it says that the third servant did this, he who received the one talent went away. And some versions say he went off. In other words, the first servants went to do something, but the third servant just went away. The first two servants went to work, The third servant, he just went and dug a hole or went away and dug a hole. The first two servants went to do something or went to work and made more. The third servant went away, dug a hole, and buried his talent. And so can you hear the message of Christ in this story? I did not give you the gracious gifts that have been given to you for you to keep it in a hole and live life for yourself. I think that's what he might be whispering to us today. Let me just invite you just for a moment just to stick your toes out a little bit and allow the Holy Spirit to step on them as you think about these questions. What are you doing with all that God has given you? Now you can get real ridiculous and act like, well, He's not giving me that much. Or He's not giving me as much as He's given Him. Or I, there's no way the expectation could be that I could do what that person's doing. But the parable, it handles that, doesn't it? Because the two, they were given different amounts, but the expectation was the same, that they do with what they have according to their abilities. You have so much that God's given you. What are you doing with all of it? Well, let me make a suggestion. There are so many ways for you to invest what you've been given in ways that can impact God's kingdom and even here at our church. Steve referred to, there's a group downstairs right now that are watching a lot of your preschool kids so that you can be up here and worship and grow spiritually and connect with the family of God. It's not because they just love doing that, but it's it's a service, it's an investment so it might impact somebody else's life and grow God's kingdom. And there are people that were teaching your children down in Sunday school or in the student ministry. 
And then tonight they're coming back because we're relaunching tonight. And they're, they're going to be leading the small groups for your students. And they're going to be teaching in Awana for your, your children. And they might teach in your Sunday school classes. They might take the role. They might follow up with you if you weren't here last week. And they're doing that as an investment because they, they're sacrificing time in that area. There are people that sacrifice time so that they can be prepared to lead in worship through our choir or through our orchestra. People that sacrifice of time and just being able to sit with their family in order to usher, in order to greet people that are you know, visiting. So there's so many ways that you can invest here. And even in serving other people here outside of the community through activities and ministries of the church, missions and service projects. And some of these places have great needs for people like you. Great needs. So what are you going to do with the stuff that God has given you? Now let me go even further because I hope that you see the fact that we're here as a time for practice, as a time for scrimmage like the locker room. That's what we're here for. The real game takes place outside these doors. Whenever we carry out all that God has entrusted us into our world where people need to hear and need love and need to know. And so are you, what are you going to share with the world? You need to be investing the resources he's given you and blessed you with here. But you need to be taking it back. You need to be taking the presence of Jesus into your homes, into your neighborhoods, your communities, into your workplace, into your schools, onto your campuses. And you need to be looking for opportunities where you can say, okay, I've got time here. I've got experience here. I've got a skill. I've got a talent that might help in this way that maybe might not benefit me, but it might benefit them and the kingdom of God. So rather than just being self-centered here, I'm going to give in this area. You know, a fear that I have is that I will not be good and faithful because I get so obsessed with just taking care of this group that I forget about the people that are outside these walls. So that leads to the final question here. What do I want to hear from God? Well, the first two servants heard, well done, good and faithful servant. The third, verse 26 says, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You don't hear that at funerals very often, that verse. Thankfully, maybe just because we won't say it. But this guy was wicked because he had so much and he did nothing with it. Let me just go and tell you, you know what? Your excuses, they don't provide you a way out. You say, well, I didn't know or I didn't have time or other things were more important or my circumstances. Or even being oblivious to the fact that there's opportunities to serve. And there's so much that God's given you. It doesn't provide you a way out. This is your one and only life. What's the next step you need to take? in order to start getting active, to giving back what God has given you? Would you dream up ways, have visions of how you could invest your life that might make an impact in others' lives or people even all over the world? It says in the Bible when the Spirit comes on them that the old men dream dreams and the young men and women have visions. I was just thinking, wouldn't that be a great thing for us that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes on us, that we start dreaming dreams and having visions of what we can do with all that God is giving us rather than just serving ourselves? What if we became a place known where everybody who claims to follow Jesus says, God, I am willing to risk all that you've been so generous to give me to do something loving and humble and good for you? And what if every one of us heard, well done, good and faithful servant, when we see the master. Now the truth is to be able to walk in front of Jesus and to be able to be, uh, stand right, stand justified in his presence doesn't have anything to do with the things that you do in this life. The bottom line of it is to be able to stand in his presence and to be accepted as a servant, really the only thing that matters is the one thing that Christ did. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, would you do that today? so that you can stand before him as a servant? 
Would you do that today so that you can know that you can be a child of God? Believe on Him for salvation. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You that You've been so good to us, God. And You're so generous and so gracious beyond anything that we could deserve. And we confess that we've just hoarded it all for ourselves. Father, I pray that You would just challenge us in ways to go out and serve. But God, more than that, I pray for those here that have never decided to surrender their life to You as Savior. I pray that today they would do that. God, I pray that you'd be glorified in all of it. Now use this moment, God, to remind us of what it is you want to teach us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence. It's in your name. Amen. In just a moment, there's going to be some people standing right down here, and they'd like to confirm some of the decisions that you're making or some of the things you're praying about, or maybe if you want to join our church, or maybe you have questions about how you can become a child of God. I want to invite you just to walk down the aisle. There'll be somebody here to greet you. They'll walk you over here. They'll answer questions for you. They'll pray with you. Fill out a little paperwork if they need to. But don't let today pass without doing that. Don't sit on top of that treasure for one more day that God's put into your life. So you stand. Our choir will sing as you respond.